At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. For the News and Observer, I'm Dawn Bond, your host for this episode of Under the Dome for the week of Monday, December 5th, 2022. I'm here today with my colleagues at the News and Observer, Adam Wagner, and our sister paper, the Charlotte Observer. Adam covers the environment, and here from the Observer are Ames Alexander and Gavin Awe. Ames is an investigative reporter, and Gavin is a data reporter. The three of them and others from uh, both our newsrooms collaborating have been working hard on a big project called Big Poultry. The first package of stories just published a few days ago with more to come as you're listening. So before we get into a lot of what you found, what what sparked these stories in the first place? Why why did you all do this project? Sure. Hey, Don, this is Gavin. Thanks for having me, uh, having us. Um, a few years ago, when I was a graduate student at the University of Missouri, uh, I wrote quite a bit about swine capos, and these are concentrated animal feeding operations and the problems they cause uh, residents out in Missouri. And when the I teams in Raleigh and Charlotte were thinking about story ideas to put our efforts to, we wanted to tackle some ideas that not only affected a lot of people, but affected a lot of people in a negative way. And it turns out that uh, poultry farms, there are around 5,000 of them in the state. There are nearly every river basin. There are 80% of the counties, and they're largely unregulated, uh, not inspected, not really permitted. Um, complaints against them are kept secret, as are their locations. So poultry operations uh, seem like uh, uh, a ripe topic for us to uh, dig into. Adam, why did you want to be part of this? Yeah, when we talk about environmental issues with agriculture in North Carolina, a lot of times people think about pigs and hog farms and the issues that have happened for years with lagoons. But the legislature regulated that industry in the late 90s, and they didn't do anything with the poultry industry at the same time. So the poultry industry has just kind of grown unchecked for the last 20-some years, even as the the hog industry has kind of stayed stagnant. that means they're now up to about a billion chickens and turkeys raised in the state annually, and we're dealing with the impacts of those. Okay. Ames, why why does this matter to North Carolinians? Why should they care about it? Who's who's paying attention that isn't? Uh, it, it matters because there's growing evidence that uh, pollutants from these massive poultry farms are seeping into the air and waterways that uh, surround them, and that can lead to things like algae blooms and fish kills and uh, human health problems as well. And uh, as more and more of these farms are built in North Carolina, they've become a real problem for many of uh, their neighbors. Uh, Gavin did some great data analysis that showed that there are about 230,000 North Carolinians who live within a half mile of a, a poultry farm. and. Uh, We talked with uh, more than 15 of these people just to get a feel for how uh, these farms have affected their lives. And uh, 
Um, many of them say the stench can be unbearable. Uh, they talk about the vultures and flies and other nuisances that these farms bring. And they say all of this affects their property values. And uh, there's also research uh, elsewhere that's found a high incidence of respiratory problems among people who live near poultry farms. But uh, in North Carolina, these farms are virtually unregulated. What was your approach to reaching out to the people and talking to them? Did some people not want to talk? Did you find out like more people were interested? How did, how did you all go about that? One of the things that we did, we, we um, looked at places where there were a lot of new poultry farms, farms that have cropped up in the last seven to 10 years. And we, we looked at places where there were uh, a lot of homes surrounding those, those farms. And we went to those communities and just started knocking on doors. Most people were very, uh, very willing to talk with us. What is the question about zoning? You mentioned the new farms. Is the, was it already zoned for agriculture? Was that any, an issue? Has that come up in, in any of the reporting? So local governments in North Carolina do not have the ability to zone out chicken farms or really any farms. Um, this is a longstanding rule in this state. So if a county government even wants to try to stop one of these facilities, they can't do it. And there have been efforts legislatively to give them at least some power. Representative Hugh Blackwell has run a couple of bills over the years that haven't gotten anywhere that would let them like not use zoning to keep farms out, but maybe use zoning to kind of control farms a little bit, some more setbacks, um, other similar kinds of requirements could be considered. Um, Adam, tell us about some of the people that you interviewed. Yeah, um, one story that, that kind of stood out was one from Kemper Dad, who's the Cape Fear Riverkeeper. And last summer, he took a flight over Sampson County, which he flies over a lot, and saw this huge pile of chicken litter unattended. And typically, he kind of calls that into DEQ and says, hey, you've got a problem. This has been here for 15 days. Um, litter can't be uncovered for more than 15 days here. You need to take a look at this. With this pile, he decided not to do that. He decided just to kind of keep an eye on it and see what the industry would do if they thought see what this actor would do if they thought no one was watching. So tell people exactly what is chicken litter. Yeah, chicken litter. It's this mixture of chicken poop and like pine shavings. So it, it's, and it looks like like big brown piles and, and doesn't smell great when you get near it. Um, but it's also a super valuable fertilizer. So farmers keep piles of it and spread it across their fields or sell it. And in this case, in Sampson County, this pile sat for 17 months until he finally reported it in November, which is a big way, pile for a long time. Long. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, so in one of y'all's stories, I was part of the first group that was published. You reported that chickens raised in North Carolina are likely generating about 2.5 billion pounds of manure annually, more than the amount of waste produced by 7.5 million humans. So where does it all go and what's the impact? And before you answer that, I wanted to add the statistic that you all have in, in one of these stories. By 20, 
2013, a U.S. Environmental Protection Agency study found that with its large number of cattle, hogs, chickens, and turkeys, North Carolina generated more manure per acre of farmland than any other state starting in 2007. Uh, so again, where does it go? What's the impact aside from the seeing big piles of it? Sure. Well, and and that manure statistic gets back to the idea that agriculture is big industry in North Carolina. This is a lot of money for a lot of people. Um, we don't really know where it all goes. DEQ is the state agency that is the closest to being able to track this, and they don't have the resources to be able to do it. If a farmer, a farmer can spread manure on their own fields, as long as they keep a record of what fields they spread it on. Um, if they hire someone, they pay someone to haul it away, they can, the hauler has to keep a record if they haul certain amounts, but there's no one checking on this. Again, DEQ just doesn't, isn't checking back and, and seeing that litter is being applied appropriately or that's ending up in, in the right place. Gavin, what have you found as far as any sort of any sort of tracking of it? Yeah, and Adam's exactly right. DEQ doesn't have the resources or is not looking, but researchers and environmentalists, they can't look as well. And that goes back to this data not being public information. Uh, where the farms are is not public information, and uh, where the litter ends up is not public information. And now, now uh, one thing that we want to tackle down the road is we have what we think is a very, very complete map of all 4,700 poultry operations. We also have 20 years worth of water monitoring data from the DEQ. Uh, a goal is to map the farms, map the water quality near the farms, and then find out what we can deduce from that information. The one hiccup that we run into there is uh, there are hog farms in the areas, there are septic tanks in the areas, there are wastewater treatment plants in these areas. So pinpointing it just to poultry uh, would take a, a lot of manpower and a lot of research. Uh, we have about a minute or two before we need to take a break, but I wanted to get in this question before that. One of, one of the stories in the package, you take out several years of agriculture bills relating to poultry and comparing to other states. So how and why is North Carolina different than our Virginia, South Carolina, and Tennessee neighbors? Yeah, we polled about 10 other states, some very large poultry producing states and others uh, uh, local states, and uh, all either had more strict regulations regarding poultry or were more transparent. South Carolina and Virginia, for example, they make poultry farms uh, apply for permits, they inspect farms, they notify residents um, when a poultry farm is coming to the neighborhood and they allow residents to comment on the project. North Carolina doesn't do any of that. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk more about big poultry and share our headliners of the week. You're listening to Under the Dome. I'm News and Observer Politics reporter Don Vaughn, here with NNO reporter Adam Wagner and Charlotte Observer reporters Ains Alexander and Gavin Off. We're talking about their big project called Big Poultry, which is a series of stories and investigations, data, interviews, all sorts of things about poultry in the state. And, and we talked a little bit about regulation and laws around it compared to other states. Um, Adam, can you talk about problems that 
the legislative requirement uh, for utilities to buy power generated from poultry waste is like, tell us about that. Yeah. So in 2007, the General Assembly passed Senate Bill 3, which really kind of boosted renewable energy in North Carolina. It's really, it's the bill that kind of gave birth to the solar industry. Um, It also included a carve out for power generated from poultry and hog waste. And the problem with the poultry carve out there has been that no other state has that requirement. Same thing stands for the hog piece of that. But with the poultry piece, North Carolina has pretty much had to start this industry from scratch. Um, There's a big company that came in shortly after or was poised to come in shortly after that bill was passed. That company folded under environmental concerns. Since then, there have been some other companies that have come in with very mixed results. And there's a company in Farmville, North Carolina, called Carolina Poultry Power, that pretty much says that the model for this that they're using is smaller plants. So smaller plants that need to burn less chicken waste, which means they can burn drier litter. They're still running into the same environmental concerns. Um, And it's still not meeting the goals that were set out originally in the 2007 bill. So lawmakers crafted some rules to, to favor the industries. Why are they doing that? What's, what's the um, other side here with what the, what what, would the, what are the farmers say? Like, what, do, why do they think they, they have needed these adjustments as it goes? Yeah. Um, so a big piece of this is the nuisance lawsuits that the hog farm industry faced in over the course of the last decade or so, there were some large judgments against that industry And in the wake of that, the General Assembly passed bills limiting who is allowed to bring a lawsuit alleging that a farm is a nuisance, pretty much tightening that. Um, That also has applied to the poultry industry. So now if you want to bring a lawsuit against a poultry farm, it has to be less than a year old. You have to live within a half mile of a house, things like this. So listeners, if you haven't read some of the work, you can see it at the News and Observer website, Charlotte Observer websites, and our our print editions. What else can readers expect this coming week from the project? Um, Gavin and Ames, if if you want to talk about what's next. Um, On Wednesday, we'll be publishing a story that uh, will talk about how poultry farmers often don't get what they were promised after they contract to uh, raise chickens for the big companies. Many of them say they were left with enormous debts and very little control over the things they needed to make a decent living. And uh, this is a problem that's uh, gaining a lot of attention nationally. Um, This summer, for instance, uh, the US Justice Department sued three large poultry companies and they, have alleged, among other things, that the companies kept key information from chicken farmers and used deceptive tactics that resulted in a lower pay to them. Gavin, a, a question for you before we move on to, to Headliner about the data. Where is some of what you found um, that was available, things that have never people have never really looked at before? Did you hit any walls with, I mean, we've already talked a little bit about, you know, tracking things. So mm-hmm. h- how much is actually available usable data and what, 
what are you still trying to get at or weren't able to do? Yeah, uh, good question. Uh, for the maps, we relied on data from the Environmental Working Group. It's a, a nonprofit out of DC. For the past six years, they and the Water Alliance have been um, scouring aerial images and mapping these farms. Um, they also provided their map to researchers out of Stanford University who use machine learning to create their map. So that's how we, we combined those maps to build what we call a, a master file of, uh, of poultry maps. Um, we looked at 20 years worth of water monitoring data. We looked at um, uh, lawsuits against these operations. We looked at campaign contributions from farmers to lawmakers, as well as uh, if lawmakers or anyone in power has their hand in the, the poultry business. We are still waiting on uh, records from DEQ. We requested, um, I think it turned out to be around 30,000 emails, give or take, uh, from DEQ officials that mentioned the poultry industry. We've got a, a small slice, uh, and that request dated back to the middle of June, I believe. So um, we'll see what that shows once we actually get those records. I want to make something clear about the map, too. To check this, Gavin went back and looked at each location of each farm on satellite images, and there's certain identifiers that make it clear this is a poultry farm or things like a lagoon that aren't there that help you know this is a poultry farm. And then we fact-checked it again after that. So we did our work, checked it twice on this to come to that number. Yeah, we eliminated uh, about a dozen farms that were greenhouses other farms that were warehouses. We looked at uh, parcel records, 5.4 million parcel records uh, for the, uh, every parcel in North Carolina. And if we thought a farm was in a location, but it was actually zoned for a warehouse, we kicked that farm out because it, it resembled a poultry farm, but it was actually a, a storage facility. I know it's only just as we're recording this, you know, a few days before people hear it, you know, the stories have just come out within the day or so. But have any of you gotten any response yet from from lawmakers, from farmers, private public sector? Have any of you all heard anything from anybody yet? Ames, have you heard from anyone yet? Um, I heard from a couple of farmers who they themselves didn't realize how fast this uh this industry was growing, and uh, uh, some of them uh, have concerns about the environmental impacts too. That's good, Adam or Gavin. Yeah, I've heard from several environmental groups who are are happy with it. They've wanted to see this story, or something like it, probing this industry for a long, long time. Um, again, there's been this acknowledgement that it's growing, but something that really takes this kind of look at it, it's, it's an important story. Yeah, same here. They were happy that uh, we were able to not just shine a light on the industry, but a pretty big spotlight on the industry. And uh, I guess only time will tell if the, it affects change. And maybe you'll get those uh, public records a little faster after writing this too. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. All right, that's a good stopping point for us. Uh, we'll do a quick round of what our headliners of the week are. Uh, Gavin, what's who or what is your headliner of the week? Uh, why don't I go with the uh, Heels versus Tigers ACC championship game? Uh, Heels come in after two losses, Tigers one loss. We'll see uh, who can write that ship tomorrow. All right. Ames, what's, uh, who or what is your headliner? 
Uh, former Carolina Panthers linebacker Lamar Latham. Um, observer sports writer Scott Fowler recently traveled to Texas to catch up with him, and he reported a heck of a story about what Latham's been up to since leaving the NFL in the late 90s. The, the guys had 34 surgeries as a result of all that football, and his body is now so wrecked that he rarely goes out in public. He says he doesn't want people to see him all bent over and limping. Uh, so I just thought it was a pretty good account of uh, the toll that this sport pl- takes on uh, players. It's funny, a lot of our headliners lately, we talk about politics, but then also sports too. So that's mm-hmm. uh, in line with, with everything else. There's more crossover than people would think between the two topics. Um, Adam, what's who or what is your headliner? I'm going to stick with the sports theme. And I'm going to go with Christian Pulisic, the U.S. men's national team forward that got the team through the group stages. We're recording this Friday, so I don't know how the U.S. is going to do Saturday against the Netherlands, but um, it sounds like he's going to play. So we'll see. All right. Mine is not about sports this week, but it is about the holiday season. Uh, The North Carolina State Capitol tree will be lit on Thursday, which is the second Thursday in December. And, you know, in modern times, a little bit late to light a tree. So just wanted to put that out there that, you know, you could scoot that a little earlier, but at least it'll actually happen in person this time. Might actually be cold now in the middle of December. Right. Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) All right. Well, I wanted to thank especially um, Ames and Gavin and Charlotte for joining us today and, and Adam here with me in Raleigh. Um, For the News and Observer and the Charlotte Observer, uh, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider, and sign up for our weekly political newsletter, also called Under the Dome, at newsobserver.com slash newsletters. Thanks for listening.